Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 listen to me love in the bible is so important that when a bible scholar came to jesus christ and asked him what the greatest command is he said these words in Matthew 22:37-40, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So that's all we got to do is two things, right? <laughs> two commands. Love is so important in the Bible to the Christian there's an entire chapter devoted just to love and describing it and defining it, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is so important to the Christian life that Jesus said in John's Gospel that His followers would be defined by that. He said in John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are My disciples if you have love for one another. So the question is, how do you love today? How do you love today? When you look at your life, what would you put your love at on a scale from 1 to 10? Because I think it's important that most people don't see a difference between loving, but love can be broken down into two areas, and that could be a worldly love. A worldly love thinks of yourself. A worldly love seeks how it can benefit you. In fact, even in marriage, I mean, we say, you know, I love my wife. Well, why do you love your wife? Because she's so beautiful. Or because she cooks great meals. Even that is focusing on yourself. We say, how come you love your house or your cars and things like that? You know, people say that all the time. I love my house. I love my car. Why? Because it benefits them. But the love of the Bible is a love that is not self-focused. It is a love, God's love, that dwells in us. It is a love that is sacrificial. It focuses on others. It puts others first. And you're going to see that the first statement in verse 9, if you look at that, it says, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Now the Greek is interesting in that because it really becomes the heading for everything that follows that. And so when he says the word genuine there, when he says, let your love be genuine, the Greek for that is an hypocritis. It is the opposite of hypocritis, which Jesus used in his day to speak of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, which meant basically an actor. It was used of stage actors that would get on a stage and they would wear a mask and be somebody 
that they really weren't. It's like a Tom Cruise or a Nicole Kidman in the movies. They do so many movies and they play these different parts. That would be the equivalent today. That's what he was saying. He was saying that, that you religious leaders, you're just acting. There's nothing there. You're putting on a show before the people. Now, when he talks about love here, he uses the opposite word, unhypocrites. Unhypocrites, meaning unhypocritical love. Why does he say that? Because within the church, we can build a culture of nices. That's what Christians do. We have to be nice to one another, right? We have to smile at people when they come in the door. We have to tell them, God bless you, brother. I love you. God bless you, sister. I love you. But then your heart may not even be there. That's a love that is hypocritical. To look somebody in the face and to tell them you love them when they come into church or those within the church that you smile at them and you say, God bless you, when there's something in your heart and your love really isn't there, that's the acting. That's what he's saying. He's saying that's what acting out love is. It really isn't there. You put a mask on it and you're pretending to be somebody that you're not. And Hippocrates is unhypocritical. You're not acting. You're not putting on a show for anybody. When you say, I love you, it really means that you love them. That you're willing to put them first and not yourself. That you're willing to sacrifice for the sake of others in the light of Jesus Christ. And when we look at this passage of Scripture, I'm going to tell you this is one of the most challenging. In all of the Scriptures, it's going to challenge you and me because if I found myself on my knees repenting, there's no doubt that we're all going to be on our knees repenting. I love that about the Word of God. It always shines a spotlight on certain areas in our life. And in this passage, it is no different. When he begins to speak about unhypocritical love or genuine love in the first verses like 9 to 13, he's speaking of loving those inside the church. When he gets to verses 14 to 21, he's talking about loving those outside of the church, loving those outside of the church, even our enemies. Now I'm going to tell you that Rome, when they had this letter, the persecution was just beginning. Christians were turning from their old life. They were coming against the culture of their day. They were calling out sin. They were approaching their family members, preaching the gospel. And persecution was just stepping up. But it culminated or peaked. I would say it hit a peak with Nero who beheaded the Apostle Paul according to church tradition. Paul knew what it was to persecute people. The one who wrote this epistle under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if you recall his life in Acts, he was standing there at the feet of Stephen when he was being stoned. They threw his garments there. Paul approved of the situation. He approved of Stephen being stoned, who was one of the first martyrs in all of the Scriptures. And he went out and he had letters from the leaders and he was going to drag the rest of Christians, the rest of the Christian men, women, children. He was going to drag them off and he knew what it was to persecute those believers who were followers of Jesus Christ. Then on the road to Damascus, he ends up getting saved. In Acts chapter 9, a remarkable salvation because God not only saved him, he used him to plant churches all over the world. The man who was coming against Christians and hating on Christians was now being used by the Lord to plant effective churches all over the Greco-Roman world. Why is that? 
Because I believe Stephen had a part to do with that. I believe that Stephen, in the midst of his martyrdom, he didn't throw rocks back at him. He didn't hurl insults at the ones that were stoning him. He said, Father, don't charge this sin against him. That is radical. That is unbelievable because he's following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. What do we do when we're persecuted? How do we respond towards haters towards us? What is our response? Because what matters the most is not what's coming our way. Because it's coming, I'm going to show you in a minute. But not what's coming to the church and the persecution that we're going to hit. That's not what matters most in God's eyes. He knows. He knows what's in store for His people. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. The clouds opened up. Stephen saw Jesus at the right hand of of the Father. Sitting, watching the whole thing. God knows what's happening in this culture today. He knows what's ahead for the church. But the thing He is most concerned with is how you and I respond towards those who are hating on us. Are we really loving Christians that the unbeliever can look at us and say, wow, they're different than the rest of the world. The light of God is breaking through them. The light of Jesus Christ is breaking through them. Can the world really look at our lives? Because in this country, the church was able to build power plays and receive power and politicians need the religious vote. And I remember there were times when our church was packed and I would have people running for office show up for two or three Sundays. And I didn't recognize them publicly. Because that's the way the world views the church. Now I'm not saying all politicians are like that. I've encountered some that were. And so the church in this country was able to build power. And we've flexed our muscles long enough. And God is stripping everything away that would keep us from seeing His glory. Hallelujah, Jesus. He is stripping us. And He is making us something. That's why I love coming to church now. That's why you've heard me from the pulpit say, I'm so excited about what the Lord is going to do. I'm so excited about what the church is going to be in these last days in our culture. So the one Paul, persecutor of the church, had all the power in the world, the endorsement of the religious leaders. He had all the backing of the political system of that day. Then he comes to Jesus. And his heart was transformed. He no longer saw himself as an enemy of the church, but he realized how great of salvation he had. He realized the depths of what God did in his life, the amount of grace that he poured into him. Lord, and that's why he would write in 1 Timothy 1 in giving his testimony, he would say, I am the chief of sinners. The man realized how sinful he was in light of a holy God. And so now he comes on the other side of the camp to where the persecution he was dishing out to the church he's now receiving. Until ultimately where he wrote this letter, he would die a martyr's death for the sake of Jesus Christ. Let's read. Let's just read it. 
verses 9 to 21. Let love be unhypocritical. NASB, if you've got that translation, it says unhypocritical. They nailed it. Don't let your love be like those actors. You know, the other side that says they love animals and all this, but they're aborting babies left and right. That ain't the love of God. Let your love be unhypocritical. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I could close in prayer right now. But since I haven't preached for two months, you're going to get some of me this morning. So listen to me. This is so challenging. You have to understand this, especially for the days that we're living in. It's not so difficult to give an offering to the church. It's not so difficult to give to the poor. It's not so difficult to do Christian things. But what becomes difficult is passages like this. This is where your faith is going to be challenged. And some of you right now, after hearing that passage, you're saying, Pastor Walter, are you serious? How can anybody feed his enemy who is hungry? How can anyone give water to the thirsty enemy? How can you fulfill any of that? What do you mean? Bless those who persecute you and do not curse them, but bless them. What do you mean? How can anyone do that? You know how anyone can do that? Because of what Paul did in the first 11 chapters. If you recall the movement of Romans, we had 11 chapters of what God had done. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12 and read it with me again. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. By the mercies of God. What mercies? What's he talking about? He's talking about 11 chapters of God saving us and justifying us by faith alone, not by our good works. He's talking about the Holy Spirit coming into us and sanctifying us and us living in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about nothing ever separating us from the love of God. In chapter 8, neither death nor life. Nothing is going to separate you from the love of God. All of this stuff that he continues to bring up in the first 11 chapters that is heavy doctrinally, 
You know, this stuff about Christ being the sacrifice for us, us being justified because of penal substitution, Him taking the penalty instead of us. Doctrinal stuff that becomes so heavy, He says in 11 chapters of what God has done for you and what God has done for me, He then says, in view of these mercies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's how we do it. It's understanding what God has done for us before we can do for others. It's understanding what God has done for us. That becomes the fire in our hearts. Do you realize that? If you don't know what God has done for you and you don't recognize the depth of what He's done for you, there's no way that you could live out this passage. There's no way at all. So what I want to do is look at this a little bit this morning. Now, I'm going to tell you up front, this is an interesting passage. It's very different than what Paul wrote anywhere else in the New Testament. There's like 26 or 27 statements, depending on how you count them up, and there's no way I'm going to cover 27 points this morning. But I am going to cover what the first half is dealing with of this passage of Scripture. In other words, Genuine love for those in the church. Then I'm going to talk about genuine love for those outside of the church in verses 14 on. So genuine love towards those inside the church. The first thing we need to take note of is genuine love is rooted in God's Word and God's will. Look at the end of verse 9. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. How do you know what evil is? And how do you know what good is? Well, only God's Word can define that. Only God's will can determine that. It's not you that determines what is evil and what is good. That's not your deal. God is the one who gets to define good and evil. He's the shot caller, whether you like it or not. If He says something is evil, then it's evil. If He says something is good, it's good. It's not for you to reinterpret the passage of Scripture. It's not for you to reinterpret the Bible because when God says something, His Word is eternal. His Word is eternal. See, we sometimes think evil's that guy on Dateline that was a serial killer and went around you know, butchering innocent women, college students, things like that. No, no, no. Evil is going against God's Word and going against His will. You see, there's a problem when we define evil. Because people who start out defining evil and defining good, they don't always stay that way. What once was evil in our eyes can now quickly shift to being what is good in our eyes. And what was good in our eyes can now quickly shift to being what is evil in our eyes. That's the problem with man defining it. And this happened in the day of Isaiah. You all know the passage of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good, and those who call good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And we're seeing this unfold in our very culture today. What your grandparents called evil is now good. What your grandparents called good is now evil. You don't believe me? Go read about it. Watch the history of what took place. And this is always the problem. 
In the book of Judges in the Old Testament, if you want a lesson in what a nation does when they disconnect from God, read the book of Judges because they go through this cycle over and over again where they turn from the Lord, God has to discipline them, then they cry out in repentance. But here's probably the verse that sums up the entire book of Judges in the Old Testament. Judges 17.6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Let that sink in for a minute. Because you have a choice today. You're either going to do what's right in your eyes, or you're going to take God's Word and let Him define it. When we come against something that God has already spoken against, we're supposed to abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. That word abhor, it's the only time it's found in the New Testament. That's an interesting word to me. It's the only time it's found. You would think that that word Paul uses there for evil would be used over and over again. I mean hating or abhorring would be used over and over again in the New Testament. It isn't. And it literally means to hate or to despise. And see, you can't cling to what is good if you don't despise what is evil. You cannot possibly think that you can hold on to something good if you're still in love with evil. It challenges us to check ourselves. Genuine love hates evil. Unhypocritical love will always hate evil. And evil is anything that is contrary to God's word or his will. When I see what's rolling out of like the entertainment industry, I wonder how can Christians sit there in front of the television or at a movie and not hate what's being seen? I thank God for the good movies and I thank God for the pure movies and I thank God for the movies that bring out faith and good and everything else. But I'm going to tell you right now, 90% of what's rolling out of the industries in Hollywood, how can we not hate that and despise it? And we should be weeping over it, not embracing it. Genuine love holds fast to what is good. It, the word literally means you're joined to it. You're joined to it. The same word is used in Acts chapter 8 of when Philip is brought to the Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot. He's reading the Scriptures. And Philip goes into the chariot to expound the Scriptures to him to tell him what he's reading in Isaiah. And so Acts 8.29 says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. Go over and join this chariot. In other words, when he got into the chariot, he joined with Philip in that chariot. What chariot are you riding today? What chariot are you, you riding in today? Are you joined to good or are you joined to evil? You have to ask yourself. This is a challenging verse for any of us when we begin to unfold what Scriptures say about good and evil. You see. Joined is so strong in that Greek language that literally you can translate it to be glued. To be glued to good. To be glued, literally, can't. It's like that gorilla glue, right? It's some of the strongest glue. Just ask the lady who, you know, she took that can and she thought it was hairspray. Did you read the article? She thought it was hairspray and it was gorilla glue and she sprayed it in her hair. And a surgeon offered to do it, you know, the work for free. So it was a four hour surgery to get all this stuff out. But she knows how strong gorilla glue is. That's what we do with good. That's what we do with good. We need to be glued to it. And you can't be glued to it if you don't despise evil, if you don't hate evil. 
We need to take this verse to heart because when it talks about abhorring what is evil and clinging to what is good, when it comes to love, we could be like blinded. When we love somebody, we tend to overlook a lot of stuff. You know, just ask a parent who's got a child, and we already know that when a child grows up with no discipline, that the consequences are disastrous usually. So we don't want to call them to the carpet because we don't want them to get angry at us. We don't want them to respond in the wrong way. So a parent could actually let them continue to do evil in their life and they end up disastrous. The church is called to confront the evil. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Crawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977